Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Kathy was traveling between Japan and Hong Kong when the virus verse made its appearance. Her family in Hong Kong begged her to find PPE, things like masks and gloves, where she was in order to bring them and help them be safe because the stores were sold out. Kathy also works in the supply chain, in manufacturing and sourcing. She describes the early days of the pandemic and of manufacturers and suppliers pulling together in order to create a new supply chain, a stronger supply chain, in order to create PPE for medical personnel across the United States and abroad. During the interview, she became emotional because she was so impressed and in awe of how people banded together. And she describes what is happening now with our supply chain and what it means moving forward for both the United States and the world. I am a New York resident, but I was taking my mother to Japan to celebrate the Lunar New Year. So when the virus was kind of emerging in January, I was actually in Japan, then Hong Kong, before flying back to New York. This is a bit of a crazy story, buckle up. I am very close to my family in Hong Kong. I was born and raised in Hong Kong for the first two and a half decades I lived there. Then moved to London to build my career and now my husband is in New Yorker, so I moved here four years ago. So when I was in Hong Kong in January, I already started getting a lot of text messages from our relatives in Hong Kong saying that all the PPE were gone, we're we were shopping in Japan. They're like, could you actually buy a bunch of masks for us? And we don't want to be the disrespectful tourists. So we were only grabbing like, you know, two boxes from each 7-Elevens and save some of the stock for the locos. But then what was super weird was I grabbed my Amazon app and, you know, eBay and all of that. I thought, you know what? I could just order a bunch in the US while I was in Japan, just that everyone seems to be freaking out. And I didn't know why, but you know what? Let me be the good daughter relative and just have a stash and everything were sold out in North America in January. So I actually, um, as a VP of platform for Thomas, we have around 560,000 North American industrial suppliers on our platform. I happen to be the one managing the matchmaking kind of science and marketing between industrial buying and selling with 1.5 million visitors a month on my platform. Well, Thomas platform. So what happened was I, I, I'm a data 
researcher and sociologist by nature. So I, when I was back at work in February in New York, I decided to look at our data set to see if there was any data abnormality uh, re regarding our sourcing platform. So usually for an industrial platform, the top sourcing categories would be steel, uh, tanks, fasteners, bearings. But then I saw a seeing huge surge of PPE, like masks, gloves, and all the secondary supply chain requirements and, and machineries. So I, I, I also self-quarantined in February for two weeks. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but I told my manager at the time and also the whole company, I don't want to come into the office and be the be patient zero and actually hurt any of the colleagues. And they were very understanding. I'm sure they thought I was being a bit weird. That was February and um, my husband family, they're very concerned towards the end of January. They, they're like, you have to change your ticket. You have to come back before they shut the border. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to leave my family here. Like just when things are bad, think about a zombie apocalypse. How weird is it that I just land on the plane immediately and change my ticket? So I explained to them that I am emotionally unprepared to do that. So, but then um, I was scheduled to fly back maybe on the 1st of February or the last day of January. But I did change a ticket so that I could fly back a day earlier. Because at that point, it did look like they're going to implement some border control policy. In a, in a weird way, because I was in university, uh, during SARS pandemic, I had that awareness of what an epidemic could look like. Um, and I remember Hong Kong was almost like a zombie movie uh, in terms of the fact that the equivalent of our Times Square, Causeway Bay, was completely empty when I was around 21. So so you once you have that experience, that fear in you, you have the muscle memory. So um, the moment I got back to North America, I, I, I was actually kind of explaining to everyone in my office, this could be really bad. And, and um, I was being told, you know, don't be too dramatic about it because you can terrify the other people, which I totally understand. But I also want to make sure my colleagues are prepared. <laughs> and um, so what happened then is um, you remember the NBA post the game and Tom Hanks got it. That's when the whole world woke up. Um, at that point, we went completely remote around March 26, 2020. None of us in the office could could really, you know, rest because Thomas, one thing about our companies for 123 years, we just wanted to help, help grow North American manufacturing and help people, especially small businesses thrive. To see all the first responders struggling because they didn't have the, the PPE, it was, um, it was really kind of terrifying at that point. Sorry but emotional, maybe I have some unresolved PTSD. So none of us could really sleep, right? It's like, okay, there are people dying. Um, what happened was we actually, as, as a company working all remotely, got together and sent a digital flare to all North American manufacturers that we could contact and said that, hey, supply chain is a bit messy. Um, PPE stock is extremely unreliable from international sources. If you can help, let's, let us know. Within two weeks, we have 1,800 manufacturers. Sorry, this is, I actually never told a story. Um, it, was, it was amazing. Um, overnight, we launched a COVID-19 response system. And um, today, right now in December, 2022, sorry, 2021, we had around 3,800 suppliers. And a lot of them weren't actually making PPE. 
they retooled the machineries, they pivoted, they kind of went against the odd and were able to source quality materials. Some of them even were able to certify their mask to um, the right level of medical clearance, such as AS, ASTM and NIOSH kind of um, certification. Um, and it, it is pretty incredible seeing how quickly uh, the community pivoted. Not to mention, then you have the vaccine supply chain manufacturing as well as co-fright. A lot of unsung heroes, including truckers with co-fright um, capability, were doing miracles every single day. I am based in New York, New York State. Uh, I have two homes, so right now we're living in Catskills. Right now, it is a bit of a mix. I think some people wore masks, some people don't. Uh, and the vaccine adoption rate uh, in New York upstate is not as good as in the city. So in my county, the uh, positive rate yesterday was 15%, which is quite high. Right now, we're allowed to take the third dose as long as we're over 18. And my husband and I had it scheduled this week. I can speak of it in terms of what I see. So definitely not on a personal level first, on a business level, it's affecting the financial market. So tech stock plummeted. In terms of where we are, I think in our community, there, there is definitely an increase and heightened sense of uh, apprehension. Uh, and a lot of the social events that we are invited to as our canceling, just wanted to be, you know, prudent about it. In terms of all my friends and family, I think everyone is kind of wondering, should we go back into our hermit mold? I think there are three facets to it. Um, number one, from a professional level, personally, I've grown a lot because we build so many new systems and connected with the government, with all the nonprofits, in just trying to move fast and help. And because of that, I, I never could imagine that I could make friends to this level of deepness remotely. So I met a lot of really great people, say, you know, Ben, the CEO of Helpful Engineering that runs the nonprofit with 20,000 volunteers trying to create open source solution for PPE manufacturing. Now they have expanded to all social impact problem. They became like a new cluster of friends that, that are really they're trying to make the world a better place. Personally, I always miss London moving to New York City and being able to move closer to my husband's family and the cat skills back to nature and, you know, stop listening to the siren and all the kind of aggressiveness in the city. It is an extraordinary privilege. Uh, and now we are all working 100% remote. Work-life balance has been fantastic. I do think finally the third facet is I, I do care a lot about all the people that might be really, you know, struggling with this. There are statistics that say that in the US, there are 140,000 children that might have lost one parent or more. While everyone is complaining about the Christmas delivery might not be, you know, getting there on time. I really have a lot of considerations and concerns about all those children, who is going to be there for them. So I will say the three layers for professional has been great. Personally, it's it's been really a phenomenal, you know, working from home. Obviously, it's hard to be a hermit, but it's a huge privilege. So I don't want to be complaining about it. And finally, 
there's a lot of work we need to do for our communities. Number one, technology has been the most important fabric in connecting communities of experts that would otherwise not interface. So this crisis had been a catalyst that brought tremendous bridging social capital amongst people that probably should have been working together for the last 10 years, but just weren't given the impetus or the kind of uh, urgency to do so. Um, I've seen government officials reaching out uh, and we could connect them with the right scholars and experts. I've seen community, maybe um, a pastor of a, of a global orphanage asking for help. We're able to connect them through digital tools and data with the right people that could help. Would I be doing that three years ago uh, out of the blue? Like probably not. I think technology had been an important aspect for us to really rethink North American industrial commons as well. One really important observation I've made is manufacturing of products and goods had been an invisible aspect of our daily life, but it's the magical invisible fabric that enable everything. And we kind of took it for granted. With this pandemic, I feel like Gen Z or millennials are starting to notice the existence and the importance of the supply chain. And technology has been really the key solution to solving for a lot of the struggles that we're seeing. We are not 100% there yet, but right now the semiconductor shortages is reminding everyone that technology is the fabric that enables a lot of things. But if you cannot source or manufacture to satisfy the demand of it, you are beholden to the limitations of physical aspects of our daily life. The day of my life I would like to share is my grandmother passed in December 2019. So when I took my mother and my sisters and, and, and one of their fiance to Japan, um, it's supposed to be a celebratory Chinese New Year event. But towards the end of the trip, we're back to Hong Kong. I remember that day vividly where everyone's kind of watching the news, seeing swarm of people in Hong Kong fighting for masks in pharmacies. And Hong Kong people are the most civilized. That palpable fear in that hotel made me start to really panic. So I, I actually messaged my good friend who lives in Greece. I was like, hey, can you check if there are masks available? Can you just don't worry about money by, you know, as much reasonably as you can for these number of people in my family. And my friend actually was in, incredible. She, um, no question asked and just made me feel safe that I could protect my family with the little that I could do. That's a friendship of 10 years and, and we're working really closely professionally together. And I think there was a tremendous sense of darkness and dread, but there was also the triumph of friendship and camaraderie. But you do feel extremely helpless because there's guilt, right? Like I have access and resources to, to all of this, but what about other people? So that day, that day really kind of made me feel, feel a lot of um, anxiety, fear, and uh, also love. Just wanted to thank everyone for working so hard. There are an incredible community of 
STEM professionals and experts that worked tirelessly, not just with helpful engineering, but around the world. And I want to make sure that people know that. And science is important. Sorry. I just, I'm really sad because a lot of lives have been lost and I felt like I don't want to get political, but some of that could be quite preventable if we could trust one another a bit more and err on the side of caution, that's all. For the last three to four decades, Western countries had been maximizing shareholder values for public company and outsource a lot of the production line, assuming that Asian manufacturing companies will never innovate and would just produce. Now, there are two really interesting downstream impact to that. Western country losing certain manufacturing skill set, especially for advanced manufacturing, as well as the loss of industrial commons within regional communities, like, you know, the Rust Belt, Ohio, Detroit. And this pandemic actually really reminded people that maximizing your margin can have extreme externalities, where if you need something, countries are going to prioritize their people first. And there are risks to national security. And I do think this is an equalizing opportunity for companies to understand that they may need to not over-optimize their profit line and start investing in communities and skill sets. And I really, really hope that learning is here to stay, to stay. And that when supply chain eases up, people won't forget the downside. I think this is a sea change event that can make everyone a little bit more strategic and have more long-term thinking implemented into their sort of business models. That's my hope, um, but I, I think I'm the optimist here. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it, because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well. <laughs>